Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Good morning. Welcome if you're visiting with us. We're excited. Good to be back with you. You'd open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark as we continue our study through the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 4, we're going to pick up just a handful of verses. And as we do so, verse 35 will be our starting point. But I want to ask you a couple of questions this morning. What have you come to church with that seems like there is absolutely no possible way that there's a bridge over it or a way through it? What is it that you're dealing with? What, what is it that you personally are in the middle of? You know, for some of you, it's those five extra pounds you now wear from Thanksgiving. You're trying to figure out, it took me one day to get it, it's going to take me one year to lose it. For some of you, it may be something financial. You're going through a difficult time with the resources that the Lord's allowed in your life. For some of you, it's something in your marriage. Maybe there's a relational thing with you and your children, perhaps your family. Those things always seem to come up around Thanksgiving, don't they? We all have that strange dynamic. We love the people that we're related to, but we don't actually like some of them. We invite people over to our home, hoping that Thanksgiving is going to be this joyous moment where we're all thankful, and somebody brings a bucket of unthankfulness to that event. What is that for you today that seems as though there's just no possible way that it isn't going to end really poorly. That's the focus of these verses. Jesus is that bridge over troubled water. He's the way through the storm. He's the way over the storm. But if we don't give him access to our storms... We don't realize he's in them with us. Then we miss what he wants to do with those difficult times in life. Would you join me in prayer? We'll pick up here in Mark's gospel. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have now to come before your throne of grace where we know that the result of being at your throne is that we receive mercy. But mercy in and of itself is not the absence of conflict. It isn't that our lives will always be trouble-free. It's that we do not receive what it is we have earned. But you give us grace in its place. And so, Father, we thank you for your loving care for us. Pray now that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of us in the room who are a little more chronologically challenged were alive back in the 1970s. 
You may have remembered a Simon and Garfunkel song that was number one for about 10 weeks, A Bridge Over Troubled Water. And it begins when you're down, when you're weary, when you're feeling small. This incredible lyric written by Paul Simon, when your tears are in your eyes, I'll dry them all. The truth of the matter is, Jesus does not keep us from getting tears. He doesn't keep us out of every storm. In fact, some storms are of his making. But the truth is that there is no storm that's too big for the master. There's nothing in your life that he's not able to see you through. And so here we have this wonderful passage. And for a bit of context, you have to remember this day that's being described here in chapter 4. Begins back in chapter 3. And Jesus healed this demon-possessed man in Gadara. It's been a hard day. It's been a rough day. He's faced massive opposition from people. There have been all kinds of things, even in the life of the king himself, that one would think that Father God would protect his son from. As parents, we want to protect our children, don't we? We we most of the time think, you know, how do I keep my children from experiencing some of the things that I know are coming their way? I want them to learn the lessons, but I really don't want them to go through that difficulty. And in an infinitely greater way, you have to assume that God the Father isn't exactly thrilled about his son, Jesus, being put to the test. And God is not thrilled about the suffering that you go through either. God isn't just sitting around in heaven going, oh boy, I can't wait for Jeff to go through this. I sure hope he just is miserable today. I pray he's filled with terror and has no idea what's going to happen and he just is heart rent. That's not God's love for us. But God does have a plan for the storms that you're going through. Join me, verse 35 here in Mark chapter 4. And on the same day, so there's the reference. The same day is the healing of this demon-possessed man. The same day as the opposition, the same day as his friends basically hating on him, Jesus has already been overwhelmed on that same day when evening had come. So it's a full day. It's now evening. It wasn't a short day. It was a long day. And he said to them, that them as his disciples... Let us cross over to the other side. Now, if you travel to Israel today, there's a beautiful road that goes from one side of the lake to the other. Matter of fact, it goes around the entire lake. You can hop in a car, and if you really want to buzz around the Sea of Galilee, take you about two hours and ten minutes, two hours and twenty if there's a little traffic, to drive all the way around the sea. It's a lake. It's called Gennesaret. Chenereth. 
the sea, but it's a lake. But it's a formidable body of water if you're in a boat that's 20 feet long and it's propelled by the wind and you're going against the wind. Because from Gadara, which is on the east side, to Capernaum, which is on the north end, but also to the west, you are fighting against the prevailing winds on almost any given day. And so you're going to have to put some oars in the water. Or you're going to have to tack all the way over to the other side of the lake so that you can come back on a reach. If you're sailing, it's not going to be a direct path. Jesus suggests, let's go to the other side. Now remember who's speaking. He's king of kings, lord of lords, amen? Creator of heaven and earth. He's not going to be mystified that a storm's going to come up. Irregardless of how the storm starts. But he does suggest to them, hey guys, let's get in a boat. And now when they had left the multitude, he's been with a crowd. Crowds are, anybody else find Thanksgiving draining? It's kind of draining to be around a bunch of people, isn't it? Even if you love them. Matter of fact, especially if you love them. Because you're trying to meet their needs and make sure everyone's okay. And that you, you know, don't run out of the famous cranberry walnut salad. You, know, you have all these things going on in your life. And here's all these people you care about. And you care about what they care about. You're concerned for them. And then there's the ones that you kind of, you know, wish had gone to someone else's home. And you even care about them. And they took him along in the boat, underline this please, as he was. Very important part of this story. Now remember that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call the synoptic gospels. It means seen together. They provide a chronological timeline of the events in Jesus' life. And you take them together and they provide a more complete story. And so it's very important that you read all three gospel accounts. If you were to do that, you would be in Matthew 8 and also in Luke chapter 8. We'll look briefly because there are some very similar things in each passage, but there are some uniquenesses, especially here in Mark's gospel, which is the longest of the three. And other little boats were also with him. So there's kind of a little flotilla of boats that are going to leave the shore on the eastern side in Gadara, and they're going to go towards Capernaum, which is where Jesus is now living with Peter and Peter's mother-in-law. And a great windstorm arose. Now, he's creator. You think he knew the windstorm was coming? Of course he did. If he's God, there, there can't be anything that's a total surprise to him. He's not going to be going, oh, yeah, man. What a poor choice of weather days. Now, he knew the storm was coming. 
And so one could say he suggested to them that they get in it knowing the storm was coming. And the waves beat against the boat so that it was already filling. Now I want you to see this in the original language. The intent here as these words were written is that you would know that the moment they pushed away from shore, it was not a pretty sight. There's a small flotilla of boats. They're beginning to be swamped by water. This is instantaneously a perilous situation. There's no doubt about what's going on here. Why is that important to you? Because God is not taken aback by the things that you face every day. And the instantaneous onslaught often of those things. The more you're around people, the more that you realize we all suffer from the same malady. Life is not fair. Amen? Bad things happen to wonderful people. And surprisingly, good things happen to not-so-wonderful people. And everything in between. And some days you're on the good side, and some days you're on the bad side. But the fact of the matter is, all of us experience storms. All of us. doesn't matter who you are. I was just having a conversation. I prayed with a lady last Sunday. And she and her husband had faithfully served in ministry for 30 plus years. They were lay leaders in their church. They had just retired. They'd finally gotten to that place in life, moved into their dream home. And within a month of moving in, her husband was diagnosed with brain cancer and he was dead three months later. Love the Lord. How do you explain that? Well, the truth of the matter is nobody really can save Jesus. He knows why he allowed that horrible cancer to strike this wonderful man. I don't have an answer. But I know the answer. And his name is found in verse 1 of this book. The Son of God, Messiah. He alone is the answer. The boat was already filling, and Jesus knew it. Now, I want you to see this, and sometimes I'm tempted to almost giggle when I read this passage. But he was in the stern, asleep, on a pillow. So we know Jesus knew the storm was coming. He's in the stern, which is the most stable part of a boat in a storm, because you always want the nose into the storm. You want the bow going towards the waves. And Jesus is in the back of the boat, snoozing. Tells you a lot of things about Jesus. Number one, he's not impressed by the storm. Number two, he's not afraid of the storm. Number three, he knows the outcome of the storm. And number four, 
he is not worried in the slightest about his friends who are in the storm, that they are going to suffer any grave danger from this storm, or he wouldn't be asleep. And they awoke him. And here's our human perspective. This is you, this is me, this is us. And said to him, teacher, do you not care we're perishing? Now, I don't know how you read that. That's how I read it. (laughs) My Lord, what are you doing? How come you're asleep? I'm going to die. Isn't it weird how we instantaneously, upon finding ourselves in a storm, start to think that all of a sudden God's asleep? That he has no clue what's going on. And if we don't wake him up, we're going to die. Kind of downplays God's sovereign plans for our lives, doesn't it? But it's a very human response. And it's not even unwarranted. After all, it's a big storm. The boat's full of water. Do you not even care that we're perishing? And so he arose. And I kind of see Jesus doing this. It's like, oh, okay. I've got to take care of these guys. So Jesus stands up, gets up out of the boat. This is not, he was not in like a reclining lounger or anything. Very small boat, small gunnels, probably only sticking two, three feet out of the water. He's in the back of the boat, snoozing on a pillow, and he stands up. And I love what he does. He does two things. Make sure you see them both. He rebukes the wind. That part is found in all three of the synoptic gospels. It's only, that word's only re- used here in the Gospels. It is a strong admonition recognizing his authority over creation itself. He rebukes the wind. But notice what else he does. But he said to the sea, Peace, be still. It's as if the wind is being stirred by the devil himself. And the sea is stirred up because of the activity of the enemy. And so he just simply says peace to the sea. Because it was never his plan for the sea to be raucous. For the sea to be stirred up. For the waves to lap over the bow. This is a picture of God's sovereignty. He has full control. The storm comes. He can rebuke the enemy anytime he wants, but he's in full control of his creation. He simply says to the waves, Stop it. You got stirred up. I'm claiming authority over you. Be still. Keep that in mind. Because the enemy's going to stir stuff up in your life. And it's not a surprise to God. And he's very able to rebuke those things that have come your way unfairly. 
They're stirred up by the devil. The devil, no doubt, was mad that this demon-possessed guy that he used to use on a regular basis is now whole, walking around Gadara going, Hey, I met Jesus! So it seems as though his plan is to just swamp the disciples. You mess with my guy, I mess with your guys. Church, this is you. We mess with the devil's guys as the body of Christ. When you speak truth into someone's life and they're set free, you're in enemy territory, taking ground. And sometimes the enemy's not too thrilled about that. And so sometimes he sends, just as he did with Job, a whirlwind your way. Don't ever forget that as a disciple, you're in the line of fire if you're doing anything for the king and the kingdom. But know this, Jesus is a match for every storm. He's superior to every storm. I love the response, and the wind ceased. So the rebuke worked, amen? Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, I feel bad that Peter was the one to whom Jesus said that. But the fact of the matter is, behind what Peter was saying, there was another force working on Peter's head. Peter, you're listening to the wrong guy. Satan, get out of Peter's head. There was a great calm. That's the result of the master's peace, isn't it? When Jesus speaks into your storm, the result is peace. The result is peace. When the master speaks into your storm, the result is peace. But he said to them, now check this out, they're not actually getting off the hook on this one. Jesus does what only Jesus can do, but notice what happens next. Why are you so fearful? Now what we don't see here is an explanation for that statement, but you can imagine what it is in the mind of God. Guys, have you not seen me feed 5,000 people simultaneously with a couple of loaves and a few fish? Have you not seen me just heal this demon-possessed man? Have you not walked with me while I've taken care of all manner of sickness? Are you so daft as to think right now that this storm is stronger than I am? Why are you so fearful? Are you forgetting who I am? And I don't mean to chastise anybody sitting here. Our fears are real, aren't they? But our master is greater than our fears. Amen? The truth of the matter is, Jeff, why are you so fearful? Why is the unknown so hard for you? Why are you struck by that 
word that wasn't exactly encouraging. Why is it that when you hear those things or see those things, you don't immediately remember who your God is? Hmm. And if you're lacking clarity, what follows will fix it for you. How is it that you have no faith? Very strong in the original. He's, he's literally saying, how can you possibly be faithless? After all I've done for you, how can you now, in this moment of difficulty, be faithless? How is that a representation of what I've done in your life? And they had the right response. They feared exceedingly. And said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? When you're confronted with the power of Christ, you will be forced to answer that question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is the master to you? Is he capable of all things? Or is he only capable of the things that you think he can take care of? Is he able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what you can ask or think? Or is he able to do what seemingly could be done if you just had the right plan? The right resources. The proper logic. You see, we very often look at our lives from the lens of us. Woe is me. We don't put the master in the driver's seat, do we? Jesus was in the back of the boat, but realistically, he was in the front of the boat. I pray that this passage touches you today. Because in facing the storm, we can see ourselves. And you might notice, and I told you to mark it, as he was. Why is that? Because Jesus is willing to be in your boat in your storm. But he is coming as he is. He is not going to change for you. He wants you to change for him. He wants your life to be transformed by your mind being renewed so that you think the way he thinks. You see the storms the way he sees the storms. Your life is in his hands. He is not in your hands. Do you understand what I'm saying? Many Christians treat Jesus as though he's some kind of additive. You keep your bottle of Jesus over here, and when the storm comes, you dump a little Jesus into it. You, you need to take Jesus out of the bottle. He's not a genie. You need to let him be the master. And you be the passenger. You come along with him. And he goes as he goes. Including the times when he allows you to go out into a storm. Only he knows what he wants to do with that storm. I, I can't tell you. Why a man who loves the Lord gets brain cancer and is dead in four months 
after deciding he'd love to still be used by God and wants to just give up his time. And he's completely in that place where he can do that in every way, shape, or form, and he's gone. To me, that makes no sense. I have to commit that to God. I'm saying, I don't know why your husband's not here. But I know where he is. I know where you can find him. And I do know that he has a plan for this moment in time. I'm not taken aback that he allows these things in our lives. This passage, by the way, also does away with what we would affectionately call the prosperity gospel, doesn't it? Because indeed, the whole of the New Testament teaches that very difficult and very trying things come upon people who love Jesus. None of us are guaranteed that our lives are going to be trouble-free. In fact, exactly the opposite is what the Bible actually teaches. That not only will you have troubles, the Bible acts, Jesus himself says, when you have trouble, know that I have overcome the world. The book of James says that knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. I hate patience. I'm not a patient person, but I'm an A personality. I like to get things done. It's like, come on, Jesus, let's go. So sometimes my storms are things that require that I sit around and go, I can't do anything about this. God's got to take care of it. I got a plan, but he's not into it. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are going, yeah. (laughs) Why do we say that? Because storms are actually God's tool. They're used in our lives in ways sometimes that we don't like. In this case, it's a very prominent occurrence on the Sea of Galilee. When you look at the geography of that area, less than 30 miles to the north is Mount Hermon. It's nearly 10,000 feet high. The Sea of Galilee sits 683 feet below sea level. So it is two vertical miles below the top of Mount Hermon, on which you have a sub Alpine tundra. You have the hottest desert on earth in the Jordan River Valley. So when that cold air, which is very heavy, comes from Mount Hermon, it rips down through the Hula Valley, through the horns of Hattin, through Julan. And sometimes those waves get 15 feet tall out on the Sea of Galilee. Now, I don't know if you've ever... I am not standing above you. My head is not at 15 feet. Okay, now imagine you're in a rowboat. And those waves have been driven by that wind. And you're looking at it like, man, the boat is full. And the only guy that we think might be able to do something about it is asleep. 
Anybody else been given, guilty of thinking God's asleep sometimes in your life? Well, I'll just tell you, I have. I, it's like, God, don't you see what's going on here? Don't you see the injustice? Don't you see the unfairness of this? Don't you see what's going on in our country right now? Can't, I know you're you. Why aren't you doing something about it? God and I have some weird conversations, okay? I'm not saying I'm, you know, alone in this, but I think most of us have some weird conversations with God. Like we know who he is, and we know the storm is real. There's a real reason for those catabolic winds. But they don't always blow. And they're very limited, kind of like our Santa Ana winds. They don't come all the time, but when they come, they really get ripping, don't they? Like one day it's perfectly calm, you go out in your yard, and you're like, oh, this is glorious and wonderful. And next day, you are sweeping up the whole neighborhood's leaves because your house is at the end of the cul-de-sac. You know what I'm saying. You got their garbage from the last three weeks. And you're like, why am I cleaning this up? God doesn't change the direction of the wind to suit your purposes. He only does so to suit his purposes. He could have, but he didn't. The reason I'm sharing that with you is it puts this into perspective. Because this helps us to see how Jesus reacts to our storms. You see how Jesus reacted to this storm? He's not sitting there going, oh no, what do we do? His response is completely different than that of the disciples. The disciples are panicked. They are stricken with fear. So much so that they completely forget who's asleep in the back of the boat. They have by now declared who he is. They've watched him do miracle after miracle, but now they think he's going down. And they're going with him. And you'll see this throughout the gospel messages. The disciples who knew best who Jesus was are the first ones to go, I don't know the man. Remember, that was Peter's declaration to a little servant girl at the fire in John's gospel. I don't know who he is. Well, that's kind of strange because I think you were with him when he raised the widow at Nain's kid. Weren't you with him? Him and Lazarus, weren't they like a thing? Wasn't Lazarus D-A-D dead? And you're going, you don't know who he is? And so they respond respond with some impertinence, I think. It's just like, they're, what, are you, what are you doing? Don't you care we're about to, Of course he cares that you're about to perish. But the fact of the matter is, from his perspective, you're not about to perish. There was never a chance that the disciples were actually going to perish. That was their perspective, not the Lord's. The Lord was using this for good, and they're thinking they're going to die. This is a weakness that we have humanly. And the reason I say this is it's so important for us to lay hold of the truth that underlies this. And that is he's greater than the storm itself and he's greater than the devil who started it. Amen? 
So much of the church, I don't know if we actually believe that. And the reason being is the way we react to storms. Jesus is going, I got this, and we're going, no, you don't. You don't have my storm. You got, you got somebody else's storm, but not my storm. My storm's too big for you. We need to give Jesus our storms. And we need to rest in the fact that he's got our storms. Because if you try and handle your storms with your power, you are going down. You're sinking. You're going to be swimming across the lake. Your boat's going over. If it relies on you. But if it's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Master of Heaven and Earth, then no storm is a match for him. doesn't matter who started it. If it's a natural occurrence, a demonic occurrence, or it's one of your making because you're in sin. Oops, did he just say that? I sure did. Because some storms we cause. Amen? Just saying. Some of them storms are you being a knucklehead. That's why KFC stands for Knuckleheads for Christ. It's a club. You're all in. There's no membership fee, no nothing. You can just be in because you're a knucklehead and we're in Christ. Yeah, sometimes we're we're like, no, God didn't mean that. You know, I have liberty to do that. No, the Bible doesn't say that I can't do this. Oh, yeah, actually it does. You made that up. That's your version of what the Bible says, and it's not true. And so you engage in that behavior, and lo and behold, the storm comes. God's going, so do you like the storm? Is that making you really happy right now? Your marriage being torn apart, is that working for you? You sitting in that jail cell after you took the breathalyzer, how's that going? You sitting there looking at your bank account because it's empty? Because you went to Yamava. You know, if you change it to Native American names, it somehow makes it better. No, the odds are stacked against you that whatever you take there, you're going to leave there. But you have to hit it big. That's called not trusting God. That's what it's called. If I'm picking on your favorite thing, sorry. Take it up with Chet. One of the cool things about being a guest teacher. (laughs) Uh, He'd tell you the same thing. (laughs) Now we make some storms, don't we? But Jesus looks at them all the same. He just rebukes them. Speaks right into them. Disciples don't see it that way, but Jesus does. Jesus is going, I got that storm. Even though you stirred it up, Jeff, I can take care of the storm. You give that storm to me. You stop stirring up the water, I'll take care of the storm. Sometimes the rebuke comes to us. 
Sometimes the rebuke goes to the devil. And sometimes the Lord just simply takes care of handling his creation, his world. The devil may think that he's got the upper hand, but that is very temporary. And so those storms that come out of the world, the flesh, the devil, Job's whirlwind is a classic example of this. Job's the most righteous guy on earth, and what happens to him? Remember, God's bragging about him. Have you considered my servant Job? One of my least favorite passages in the whole Bible. It's like when God brags about you, the devil's going, I'll get him. It's like, Lord, I'd like to be just kind of a normal average guy. Don't tell the devil that I'm, you know, the most righteous guy on the planet, because that didn't go well for Job. He got a whirlwind that killed his whole family. Took away everything he owned. But about Job, there was none like him on the face of the earth in righteousness. So if you believe the prosperity gospel, you might want to read the book of Job. God just rebukes it. Jesus rebukes it. Essentially, our faith and fear cannot peacefully coexist. I either trust God or I don't trust God. I either believe what he says or I don't believe what he says. There's some mixing of those two things together that happens when you're in the wrong place. But the fact of the matter is, when I don't trust God, then I just simply react in fear. That's what happens. That is an area where our faith needs to grow. It doesn't matter whether the devil stirred it up. It doesn't matter whether it's part of your fleshly nature and you sin. It doesn't matter whether it is the world and its construct. What matters is the one who's the master of every storm is able. Amen? Amen. He can do. Alone he can do. Exceedingly and abundantly. Beyond what you can ask or think. Not just in the good things, in the bad things. When stuff gets rough. It's a very old hymn written by Mary Baker. And one of the stanzas of it, No waters can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean, earth, and skies. It's a truth. Jesus isn't going to be swallowed up by our problems. He is the master of our problems. And so whatever you brought today, whatever that challenge is, whatever is going on in your life, wherever the storm itself came from, it may look like God isn't answering. It may look like Jesus is asleep, but he is not asleep. Amen? He is very much awake and he is very much aware. And he is very much able. He is awake, he is aware, and he is able. Amen? Don't forget that. Because the devil wants you to believe he's not awake. The devil wants you to believe he's not aware. The devil wants you to believe that Jesus is not able. And so he cranks up the storm a little bit. Now I want you to think about it for a moment. When Jesus, this is this just, it gets me every time. 
Jesus rebukes the wind. He speaks peace to the waves. The storm we know filled the boat. So here's the disciples after Jesus stands. He's come from a nap. He stands up, does these things, and they're standing there drenched to the skin. Water running out of their hair. There's water in the bottom. They're over there bailing with the pot trying to get the water out. I think Jesus went back to napping. <laughs> I, don't, I can't prove it. But it would be just like the Lord. It's like, are you guys done? You ever notice how the Lord speaks to you like that? Are, are you done complaining, Jeff? Because you might notice I actually took care of that already. But here they are. They're like, man, we almost died. And Jesus goes, no, you didn't. You thought you were. But you were never in danger. I had it under control the whole time. That's why Paul, as he wrote Philippians 4, said, be anxious for nothing. Zero, zip, nada. Null set, void, goose egg. Don't be anxious for anything, but by prayer and through supplication. Make your request known to God. To say, God, I don't understand this storm. I don't know why you've allowed it. But with thanksgiving in my heart, what did Jesus speak to the waves? Peace. And let the peace of God guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? That's what he wants to do with your storm. Let him do it. He's got it. You don't, but he does. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just ask a special anointing over us as your kids, your church, your people. Lord, the storms are real. The wind is howling. The devil's laughing, and we're scared. And so we ask that you would send peace into our lives, that you'd calm the storms, you'd rebuke the wicked one. It'd help us to turn from those things which might be our responsibility, Lord. If there's something sinful in us that needs to be dealt with, then we surrender it to you. But God, we give you our storms and ask that you would simply rebuke their cause and give us peace. We desperately need it. Our world needs it, Lord. And so we recognize that you're the one that can bring it. We want to grow in faith. We want our actions to match up with what we believe in our hearts. So fill us with your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.